0: Welcome to my weekly share. This week, of course, we're talking about Parshat Shemot. We begin a new book of the Torah, the second book of the Torah. It's a very important beginning because, actually, it's the beginning of the rest of the Torah. The first book contains, as it were, the preamble of Jewish life, the origins of humanity, the origins of creation, the formation of the family that ultimately became the Jewish nation. But at the beginning of Shemot, we take the story to the next level. And actually, from the beginning of Shemot until the end of Devarim, the story is the story of one primary individual and his impact on a nation that became known as Bnei Israel, Knesset Yisrael, Klali Israel, the nation of Israel. So he became the leader. And of course, we're talking about Moshe Rabbeinu. He's the one that's going to be introduced to us in Shemot. And we're going to be talking about him today. Now, I want to refer to a story that is a favourite of the youngsters, and it's one that has been covered uh, by the art world uh, in numerous different ways. I know that uh, when I post this share online, you're going to have one particular representation of this incident, um, as it is found in, of all places, a monastery very close to where Mount Sinai is, where it happened, and that's why I thought it was appropriate, the Santa Caterina Monastery. Um, There is a fantastic mosaic there of this particular incident as it is recorded in the Torah in Sefer Shemot. What incident am I referring to? The burning bush. There was a bush that was burning in Chorev. Chorev is another name for Sinai, for Mount Sinai. And the bush was burning, but it did not get consumed. It's an incredible image. It's almost impossible for us to fathom it in any kind of physical sense. But I'm going to read you the psukim, as they are found in the Torah. The psukim read as follows. Moshe Rabbeinu is a shepherd. He was a roye tsoin. He was a shepherd for his father-in-law, for Yisroi. And I don't know how he got from Midian to the middle of the Sinai desert, but there he was, and it's hard to understand why he would have drifted that far afield, but he was in that location. Vayera malach Hashem elov, an angel of God appeared to him. Belabas eish mitoy chasne, in a fiery flame, a fire that was um, being it was a light, as it were, inside a bush. Mitoi toichasne, inside the bush. Have you ever seen a burning bush? Have you ever seen um, uh, any kind of organic material burning? It burns and it slowly gets consumed and then it's gone. But this fire was burning inside the bush. Vayar And Moshe Rabbeinu Moses saw that the bush was burning... But unlike anything that he or any of us have ever seen, despite the fact that in practical terms, when something burns, it should get consumed and destroyed, this bush continued to remain in full bloom and in full blossom, despite the fact that it had a fire burning inside it. It was special effects par excellence. Yemer Moshe. And Moshe wasn't speaking to anyone in particular. This is kind of a thought bubble. The Torah is projecting to us the thoughts that Moshe was having to himself. Moshe says to himself, Well, that's quite a phenomenon. I've never seen anything quite like this before. I'm going to turn towards it. I'd like to see this incredible phenomenon. I'd like to understand it a little bit better. Why is it that this bush, despite the fact that there's a fire raging inside it, it doesn't get burnt? What is going on? Hashem Now, Hashem clearly had set this all in motion because he wanted to attract Moshe Rabbeinu's attention. And he saw that he had succeeded in doing so. How does he know that? because he saw Moshe Rabbeinu turning towards the bush. We don't know how far away he was from that bush. We know that he could see it. Maybe he was a hundred yards away, and he sees this phenomenon, and rather than just ignore it, I mean, most people would run away from a raging fire that want to be anywhere near something that could cause them harm. He went towards it because he was so intrigued by this phenomenon of a bush with a fire inside it that isn't burning. And Hashem saw that. So, clearly... At the first level, he had passed that test. He was interested. As a result of which, God began to have a conversation with him inside, from inside the burning bush. So this is the first moment that Moshe Rabbeinu receives prophecy. He becomes a prophet at that moment. He had noticed something out of the ordinary, And he immediately realized that this was something that was more than just what he was seeing. And he was interested and intrigued to find out more. And in a minute, we're going to see what the Nesivas Sholem believes was the reason that Moshe Rabbeinu was so intrigued by the bush. In other words, it wasn't simply uh, a scientific phenomenon or anomaly that was surprising to him. There was something much deeper than that. And that's what we're going to be discussing today. This unusual phenomenon. What significance did it have? And indeed, why is it that Hashem, at the very first moment when he appears to Moshe Rabbeinu, chose to appear to him in this particular way? And we know that Moshe Rabbeinu is such an important uh, leader for the Jewish nation. He is going to, for the next 40 or so years, he is going to be the shining light of the Jewish nation and, in fact, of nascent Judaism. So to this day, we refer to Moshe as Moshe Rabbeinu. He is our initial, our original, our foundational teacher. He taught us the Torah. All the Torah that we have today is based on him. This was his first moment of revelation. Why was this very unusual method chosen to be his medium of revelation. Why did God appear to him in a burning bush? That's what we're going to be dealing with today. But let's just deal with some practical matters. Let's do some housekeeping first. And then we'll get to the meat of today's shir. So Vayomer, and he said, Don't get too close, God warns Moshe Rabbeinu. He says to him, I know that you've seen something which you find surprising, intriguing, and uh, uh, very difficult to understand. But don't get too close. In fact, shall um, take your shoes off. Because the place upon which you are standing is actually a very holy place. It's very, very holy and spiritual, and it's higher than you know, the physical elements that you can see and perceive, there's something much more going on here, and you have to take your shoes off. question to you, why take your shoes off? What difference does it make if Moshe Rabbeinu is wearing shoes? I know that we're all familiar that the Kohanim take their shoes off when they do uh, Birka's Kohanim. Have you ever thought, why? Has it ever bothered you? Why do they need to take their shoes off? Why can't they just take their hat off? What is it about the shoes that is so significant that they need to take them off. And the basis for this entire idea is found in this story. Because we know that Moshe Rabbeinu was in a very holy location. He was on Har Sinai. And he had to take his shoes off. Why? It is very holy land. It's holy territory. What is it about holiness and spirituality that cannot tolerate somebody wearing shoes? That's something that we need to understand. So... He tells him to take his shoes off. But now we're going to turn to the Nesivas Shalom, and we're going to see the questions that Nesivas Shalom feels that he needs to deal with in order to understand this story and in order for us to gain lessons from it. As we know, I've said it so many times in all my Shi'urim, there's no story in the Torah that doesn't have a lesson for us, that doesn't have a significant lesson that transcends the time and place in which it happened. It's not that we are, of course it's interesting to know that Moshe Rabbeinu met Hashem in this particular way. But why is it important for us to know that? Can't we just know that Vayera Hashem Elov, that God appeared to him? Why Why do we need to know that Hashem appeared to him in a bush that was burning, that wasn't getting consumed? What is the significance of that to us right now in the here and now? Says the Nesivah Shalom. We need to understand what is the significance of this particular um, vision, as it were. That's what the word Mare means. It may have been a physical vision, something that was actually happening in front of him. But in terms of its significance, it was a vision. It was a spiritual vision. Something was going on that was meant to convey a, a message. The vision had a message to impart. What was that message, says the receiver Shalom? HaKadosh Baruch Hu LeMoshe Terem Why did Hashem need Moshe Rabbeinu to see this vision of a bush that has a fire inside it, but which isn't getting consumed by that fire? Why did Moshe Rabbeinu need to see that vision, as it were, before going and rescuing the Jewish nation from Egypt and bringing them out in the exodus that we all know that happened, we refer to as Yitziat Mitzrayim. Because the implication here in this story is that the, entire, the secret, the underlying message of everything that we need to know about Moshe Rabbeinu being sent as the savior of the Jewish nation in terms of bringing them out of Egypt, everything that we need to know is contained in this story because it is the initial connection between Hashem and Moshe Rabbeinu regarding the fact that he was going to be the saviour of the Jewish nation. So everything we need to know must be contained. This is the headquarters. This is where it's happening. Unless we can understand this story, we don't understand Moshe Rabbeinu. We don't understand what God wanted from Moshe Rabbeinu. So that's what we're going to be dealing with today. We can begin to understand this if we look at another matter that requires unpacking, that requires greater understanding, and that is Bavir Kosov in the explanation of that pasuk which teaches us. You know, there's a pasuk. It can be found in Dvarim, Perik Teshzain. The, in, in Devarim, when we talk about Yetzias Mitzrayim, one of the things which is said is that Ki so Mitzrayim. How did you leave Egypt? How is it that the Jewish nation left Egypt? They left Egypt b'chitpozoin, in a great hurry. What was the hurry about? Why did they need to leave in a hurry? And this is, by the way, a topic that has vexed commentaries ever since they began commentating on this particular posuk, why is it that the Jewish nation needed to be rushed out of Egypt? Why couldn't they have gone in a more relaxed way? You, you left mitzrayim in a hurry. What was the necessity for this hurry? Deyois shehoyu says the Nesivah Sholom, and this is one of the classic answers of the commentaries, that the reason why the Jewish nation needed to hurry out of Egypt is because there are 50 levels of tum'ah. There's 50 levels of impurity. That means if there's a scale of 1 to 50 of how impure you can be, of how involved you are in the physical aspects of the material aspects of um, existence... There's a scale of 1 to 50. If it's, And the scale is, if you're only connected at the 1 or 2, it's not so bad. If you're connected to 50, you're completely devoid of any spirituality. Where were the Jews on that scale? Just as they were leaving Egypt. So we know from Chazal, they were already at number 49 on the scale. They were almost at 50. It was almost at a stage where There was no hope for them ever to be able to recover. They would have been completely removed from any spirituality. (laughs) Had they actually made it to number 50 on the scale, they would have been completely lost. The Jewish nation would never have been able to make it out of Egypt. Game over. (laughs) And for that reason, they needed to be rushed out of Egypt they couldn't wait another minute because another minute might have meant that they would get to number 50 on the scale. We can't allow that to happen. You know, it's when you, have you ever seen one of these movies where there's a, a bomb and there's a timer on the bomb and it's going, I don't know where the timer starts, it may start at five minutes, and slowly going down, 4.59, 4.58, and the camera sort of zooms in on that little digital clock and it's going at 00, um, 006, 005, 004, and you, you've got only two or three seconds left before the bomb is going to explode and everything's going to be destroyed. And of course, in the movie, the, uh, the bomb is, diffu- is uh, they manage to uh, disarm it and it doesn't explode. But the tension is there because they, we know, we are the watching, we're watching this movie, we know that if the bomb doesn't get disarmed on time, then it's going to explode and cause devastation. Now, of course, we're not that nervous when it's 459, 458, 457. And we're getting more nervous when it gets to 250, 249, etc. And when it gets to 130, 129, 128, we're even more tense. And when it gets down to 005, 004, 003, 002, it's 01. It's going to explode. It's all over. We know that the game would be over. The movie would be over. But That's the tension. It's dramatic tension. Imagine that dramatic tension as the Jews are leaving Egypt. They're about to leave Egypt, but if they don't get out right away, the clock is ticking. It's no longer at 4.59, 4.58, 4.57, 4.56. No, it's at zero zero five zero zero four zero zero three. If they don't get out by 0.01, the bomb is going to explode. They're going to be avudim, says the Nesivas Sholom. Of course, he doesn't use that analogy with the bombs in movies, but I'm just using that by way of illustration. The fact is that if the Jewish nation would have remained even one more second in Egypt, that's the implication of this Mem share Tuma idea. They would have got to Sharnun, they would have got to 50, and then it would have been devastation, it would have been over. They couldn't have left Egypt because they would have been completely and utterly destroyed in terms of their spiritual worth, their spiritual value. That's what the Nesiva Sholom wants to talk about now in greater detail. We need to understand this entire idea. I want to ask you a question. Could God diffuse the bomb when it was still at 459, 458, 457? Of course. So why did he wait until the last minute? I mean, there's no viewers there. This is not dramatic tension for a Hollywood movie. Why exactly did Hashem wait until the last minute? We need to understand. Why did Hashem want the Jewish nation to be at that moment of great tension? Of great desperation? Of almost certain death? Why did it need to be at that moment that they left Egypt? Why couldn't they have left a day or two or five before, or a month before, or six months before, when they weren't at Mem Teshari Tuma yet. They were only at Mem, and they had another ten to go. Why did he have to wait until it was Memtes? Why did Hashem wait until they were literally at the very last minute, and they were in danger of being completely and utterly destroyed, in terms of their spiritual worth and value, why did he wait until then? Why didn't he free them earlier? Elo. Oymek bozer al mosho. Let me explain to you the, uh, the inner essence of this idea by way of an analogy. Legarin hazera hanizra ba'adoma. Let's think about a seed that's planted in the earth. Why would you plant a seed in the earth by the way? Because you want to want it to grow into a beautiful plant. Either it's a fruit tree or it's vegetables or it could be a beautiful flower. Whatever it is that the seed is, you plant it into the ground. Now what does the seed look like before you plant it into the ground? Very nice, it's it's absolutely lovely. de Hagarin Nisha Boyki de So when that you plant the seed in the ground. When you're planting it, it's fine. Slowly it disintegrates. It rots in the ground until the only thing left in it, and he uses here a Kabbalistic term, kusta de chayusa. What's kusta de chayusa? It's a tiny element. It's a fraction. It's a tiny spark of life. There's something inside that rotting seed that will eventually emerge as this source of life for the plant that's going to grow from it. If you look at that rotten seed, you think to yourself, it looks disgusting, nothing could come from that. And suddenly a leaf, a sprout will come out of it and that could grow into a mighty oak or a beautiful fruit tree or whatever it is that you're growing, vegetables, flowers, a bush, whatever it is that you're growing. That source of life comes from the most unexpected place there is a kustu de chayusa in that seed and it rots until it almost appears as if it's, there's no hope left for it. But the kustu de chayusa produces the plant that emerges from it. And then it begins to grow. Only when, as it were, the night is darkest, when it's at its most rotten, that's when it begins to grow into a plant. Because it begins to grow into a plant. The only way that something can grow is if it initiates from something that was good before. It has to have been good. However, That's an incredible idea. Until such time as that which preceded it is still fresh and beautiful and good, it cannot grow into a new plant. It's not possible. It's only when the seed completely disintegrates and rots in the ground that it can produce the plant that will emerge from it. It was originally, it came from a plant that was alive, it goes down to its very essence, to the kusta de chayusa, and then it becomes the beautiful plant that comes out of it. Omnon. im yisrakev legamri, if it rots completely, that means it goes beyond that stage where the kusta de chayusa can produce the plant, If it goes beyond that stage, the kusta de chayusa is no longer inside the seed, then it won't grow into a new plant. So it's a very delicate moment. It's a moment, as it were, of great tension. Everything that preceded it is now gone. It has a great path ahead of it, a plant that can grow into something beautiful and wonderful. Or there's another choice it can go off the deep end and disintegrate completely, and nothing is going to emerge from it. Do you know when something new can grow? It's exactly at that moment between the beauty and the original life of the plant that came earlier and the new plant that's going to emerge from it. It's that point. It's a very thin line. You're floating on the balance between what came before and what's going to come out of it afterwards. That is the moment of when the life is going to emerge out of it. What he calls here the new growth, the new plant can come out of it. The new life can emerge from it at that moment. Um, because everything is gone besides for the kusta de chayusa. The, the seed, as it were, is totally gone. The only thing that remains inside it is this kusta de chayusa, from which will come out the new, um, the new growth that will emerge ultimately into the plant, whatever it may be. Val derech zeh, in yonam shel if you want to understand what was going on with the Jewish nation in Egypt, and by the way, this answers the bigger question, the broader question as to why it was that the Golus in Mitzrayim was so important. But if you want to understand what was going on here, what happened in Egypt, why they were there, what, what it was that happened in Egypt that allowed for the birth of the Jewish nation, Shehoyu Mushu memtes Tuma. They had sunk so low in their spiritual level that on the scale, they were at 49. Hedar, Gomor, Milvata, de So whatever they were before had completely gone. The only thing that remained within them was the Csta de Chayusa. This possibility, this potential for the growth into a beautiful plant, or in this case, a beautiful nation of the chosen people, the Am HaNifcha. <laughs> the only thing that helped them not fall into the Shar <laughs> HaNun, into the 50, number 50 on the scale, was the fact that they had this de <laughs> Chayusa. That's what held them back. That's what prevented them. That's what prevented the complete disintegration. Vidafka Oz, Be'na Hedar and it was exactly at that moment, it's exactly. It's precise, it's completely precise, at that moment between whatever greatness came before them and whatever greatness was going to emerge later, it was at that particular point, that's when they could begin their growth into something new, where the new plant could emerge. And that's when God took them out of Egypt. That was the moment, the appropriate moment for them to be, um, go to go through the exodus, am ha'am and the new nation was born, the Am HaNifcha Lashem. Um, and this was, this explains the entire idea of Ki Bechi Pozon, Yotsos If you want to understand, why did they need to rush out of Egypt? Remember that question we just asked it a few minutes ago? Why the rush? Why couldn't God have taken them at an earlier point, at the fourth four fifty eight, four fifty seven, etc.? Why couldn't He? Why did He have to wait until it was zero zero two zero zero one? Almost the explosion, the complete destruction of the Jewish nation. But it, this explains it. Why does it explain it? Um, because Sharia Akodish Baruch Hu LeMoshe Bereshish This was. Um, Sorry, I've, I've, I've skipped a few lines. This explains why it had to be in a hurry. Before then, God couldn't take them out, couldn't remove them from Egypt. It wouldn't have been the right moment. It wouldn't have been the moment when Hedar was gone and Kiyom was about to emerge. The And he couldn't take them out any later, of course not, because by that time the seed would have rotted completely in the ground, they would have been at Sharonun, and game over. It was only at that point where the only thing that remained was the Kusta de Chayusa, that he could redeem them, there was nothing left from their past in terms of who they were, they completely changed themselves, they'd become... A, a, a blank uh, sheet of paper. There was only the Kusta de Chayusa, and now the new nation could emerge. V'zehu, ha'mara And this was the great vision that God showed to Moshe Rabbeinu right at the beginning, v'reshish before he even began on his mission. That's the vision. Think about the vision. The bush is burning. It's destroying itself through fire. It's going to be gone in one minute. It's going to be gone. The fire will have destroyed it. But it doesn't get destroyed. It's still there. It's still alive. It's an amazing vision. If you think about it, the visual is unbelievable. You're seeing something that's destroyed and yet it isn't destroyed. What does it mean? That the forces of evil, the forces of tumah, of impurity, are slowly destroying there like a fire that's burning within the Jewish nation. The bush is not burning. The Jewish people remains alive. The Jewish people remains vital. It may, remains strong. It remains able to survive. That onslaught of the fire, that's the bush that's burning, that's Bayer ba'ish. However, hasn't that the E the snare, the bush, does not get destroyed. Shainom nisrofim Legamra. They never get destroyed completely. It's not possible to destroy them. Elonishar Bahem Adain Kusta de Chayusa. The kustu de Chayusa still remains. Within the Jewish nation, they're able to withstand the incredible pressure of the Memtes Tuma. Why? Because they still have the kustu de Chiyusa, and now the growth, the Kiyum, the new beginning can actually start. Valze his spale and it was this that so surprised Moshe. Why did he turn towards the bush? Why was he so intrigued and interested to see more? Because he saw, Asura naa, let's get close to it. I want to see this. I want to understand how it works. What is this phenomenon? Why is it that the bush isn't burning? It doesn't make any sense to me. Moshe was shocked. What is this? Um, that the Jewish nation has, that it doesn't get destroyed by the fire of being in Egypt. How is it possible that they can remain inside this level of Tumah? They can be so contaminated, so filthy, as it were, spiritually, from the Tumah that is burning inside them, for Afal and nevertheless they don't get burnt Hatuma Legamri, they don't get completely destroyed. Yes, of course it's devastating, and of course it's very hard for them to see any way out for themselves, and yet they're not destroyed. As the Posuk says, it says Bayer Yes, the bush is burning. There's fire raging inside it. However, the bush does not get burnt. So now, that's the end of part one. Beautiful beginning of the she'er of this piece of the Mesivus Shalom. Of course, if you want to see it inside, I've actually included the full Mesivus Shalom as this week's source sheet. You can download it on my website or there's a comment on YouTube that uh, you'll find it in or on the SoundCloud file, you'll find that there's a comment there that gives you the link so that you can download this uh, Nesivas Shalom, this beautiful Nesivas Shalom, and look through it yourself. But what the Nasiba Shalom has not yet explained, what the Nasiba Shalom hasn't yet really revealed to us, is what the Kusta de Chayusa is. He's just told us that this thing exists. Now obviously in the seed, it's something physical, it's something material. There's an element of life even in a seed that's gone rotten that can produce a new plant. I don't need to go into the science of that. We all understand it, even if we haven't studied it recently. We know that that's the truth. But in spiritual terms, what's Kusta Dechayusa? If you're caught in Memteshari Tuma, why wouldn't you make it to Nun? Because uh, you've got this saving grace of Kusta de Chayusa. What is it? What is it made of? Omnom. Let's take a look, says the Nasivah Sholom. Inyon ha Kusta de Chayusa shenimtsa hu chazal. Let's see what the Chazal have to tell us about what the Kustu de Chayusa is within the B'nai trial that enables them to withstand Memtes shari Tumah. ha'emunah n'igalu av'isenu Do you know why the Jewish nation emerged out of Egypt in an exodus? Do you know why? Because they had a special merit of emunah, of faith. There was a faith inside them that enabled them to withstand the battering that they were getting from the mentes they had absolutely nothing there was no level of spirituality in them they were completely removed from any kind of as it were connection between them and Hashem nevertheless there was a deep-rooted faith that they had inside them. They didn't even understand it. They didn't even know what it was, but they knew that God exists. And that level of faith, we know that they cried out to God. They didn't even understand what they were doing, but they knew that God exists. That emuna was their saving grace. It is that that we refer to, or that the Nasivas Shalom refers to as the Kusta de Chayusa of the Jewish people. He quotes the sefer Chesed la emuna he If you want to understand what is the primeval, the uh, the initiating strength or power of anything, it is emuna, the the foundation of what it means. To be a person of faith is to have that spark of faith, that de Chayusa, That is the platform for everything that comes afterwards. She yisrael If you want to know something, every neshama of a Jewish person, every neshama has inside it this shayresh haemuna. Shehim You understand that we have inside us. A piece of Hashem. We have inside us something. It's a spiritual, it's hard to define, it's hard to understand. But within us, every single one of us, we have a kernel, a tiny seed, the smallest fraction of whatever it is that is called emuna, That is pure, unadulterated, unaffected emuna. We believe in Hashem. And what does that mean? The fact is that this resides within a human body. And the human body has got all types of other influences going on. And sometimes it gets covered and it gets obscured and it gets lost within the human condition. But that doesn't mean it's gone. You can't toss it out. It's not trashed. It's still there somewhere buried deep inside us. It's a shoyrish. It's at the root of every single Jew that we have this kusta de chayusa of emuna. That's what the chesed Avram says. L'okhein ma'aminim b'nei ma'aminim That's why we are referred to by Chazal as believers, the children of believers. Ratzalayma. what does that mean? Sh'kein yisoid nafshom me it doesn't mean that our parents were believers, but we, when we believe, believe because within us there is a believer. We believe because we've discovered the believer inside us. We are maminim bene, as it were. We are descended from or the result of the maminim within us, that we have this shirish within us of faith. And that leads us to be openly faithful to Hashem, not something that's buried deep inside us. That's what the Chesed L'Avram says, Even if a Jew finds himself in the most terrible place, in the deepest, darkest place that a human being can be in spiritual terms, he's in a terrible, terrible place. Even if he's completely enveloped, by the 49th level of tuma, He's that far down the scale or up the scale, I don't know how to refer to it. The emuna that's within him is long, is living, and it's alive. It's totally there. You may not see it, you may not know about it, you may think that you don't believe. But it's there. The Koyach E'munah is inside his soul. But E'munah, he bechinas hakusta de Chayusa, and that faith is in fact what we were referring to earlier when we suggested that the Kusta de Chayusa was the element within the Jewish nation that enabled them to survive the Memteshari Tumah. Everything else had gone. Everything else that brings you to the 49th level of Tumah was gone. That sorry, that would sustain you so that you don't get to the 49th level of Tumor, was gone. That's why they were at the 49th level. But that 50th level, what's the barrier to entry for the 50th level? Emuna, the Kusta de Chayusa. So And it was from this that they were unable to grow into the Jewish nation that stood at the foot of Mount Sinai and said, Na'aseva nishma." Each day between Pesach and Shavuos, 49 days each day, they rebuilt themselves one day after another, got back to the next level that they needed to be on in order to get away from the 49 levels of tumah until they reached the foot of Mount Sinai and they were able to say, it wasn't something that was buried deep inside them, they were able to say full throttle with all their hearts, v'nishma. we will do whatever Hashem tells us and then we will listen. Because they were no longer at the Memtes Shari Tuma, they were now where they needed to be. They'd reached that level where their faith wasn't buried deep inside them, but it was open. It was out there, and they could accept the Torah. That's. But how did that happen? Because they had the Kusta de Chayusa of Emuna when they even even as they were in Egypt. Val Zetan Moshe Al so if we want to understand, there's a question here. Why did Moshe Rabbeinu never go earlier to save the Jewish nation from Egypt? And how did Hashem convince him that now was a good time to go? If Moshe Rabbeinu felt himself to be somebody who understood the needs of a nation, surely he could have gone and inspired them to whatever it is that they needed to do in order to emerge out of Egypt. Why didn't he ever think about it before? What it, and what was it that Hashem told him right now At the burning bush that changed his mind. So here we have it. Because Moshe Rabbeinu said, Do you know why I've never gone? Do you know why I can't go to Egypt? They're not going to believe in me. They're not going to take any notice of me. They're not going to think that I'm a serious person, that I can ever save them, that I can be their savior and help them out of Egypt. Because at this stage he thought that even their emuna is no longer a feature of their lives. They don't have faith in Hashem. Therefore, they're not going to believe in me as a messenger of God. They're not going to believe that it's possible for, the, for them to emerge out of Egypt because their kustat chayusa has gone. Shele al because of the incredible weight of impurity and lack of spirituality in which in the midst of where they lived, they, they live in that environment on an ongoing basis. la it's not possible for them to have um, any kind of emuna, impurity. There's no, there's no opening for emuna in such a situation. <speaking in Hebrew> the kusta de Khayusa has gone. They they're living in the midst of the most uh, godless environment that's possible. Where's their emuna? <speaking in Hebrew> they won't. Believe in me. Not be, me as Moshe Rabbeinu. They won't believe in me as a messenger of God because that, that element of faith has gone. And therefore he was so intrigued by this vision, the visual. Think of it, the optics here. He sees a bush that's burning but doesn't get destroyed. He says, I want to see that. That's interesting. That's teaching me a lesson. It's teaching me something I didn't know. Why? He says, Hamara Zema snare. I need to understand why the bush isn't burning. I need to understand how that's possible, because I assumed that if anything is burning in a fire, the fire destroys everything in its wake. It's not possible for anything to survive. And yet I see here the bush survives. How is that possible? How is it possible for the kusta de chayusa to survive if the fire is burning so hot and so bright? To which God responded to him. Once he saw that Moshe Rabbeinu's interest had sparked by this vision, was sparked by this Visual of the burning bush that doesn't burn. Take your shoes off from your feet. You can't walk around in shoes in this environment because this Adoma, Adoma is usually the lowest thing. It's it's always analogized to to the most base form of materialism is Adoma, is earth. You can't walk on this earth because it's Admas Kodesh. It is holy earth. It's not possible for you to walk on this this land, on this territory. (laughs) We're not talking about Mount Sinai. We're talking, this is a hint to the fact that this was B'nai Yisrael. By walking on this earth, you're walking on the B'nai Yisrael. (laughs) You are talking about them. And therefore, take your shoes off. Jews, the Jewish nation, even though it doesn't appear that way, are the holy of holies. And teaching a profound lesson and a lesson that Moshe Rabbeinu team seems to have taken completely on board. The Jewish nation may appear completely lost to you. They may be seem, appear to the outsider to be completely lost. Um, worthless in terms of their spiritual value. And God was saying no such thing because they still have the Kusta de Chayusa. By the way, God would come to learn that lesson again from Moshe Rabbeinu many times. How many times did God come to Moshe Rabbeinu and he'd given up on the Jewish nation and Moshe Rabbeinu reminded him, uh uh-huh, you told me at the burning bush there's a kustah de Chayusa, there's a Shoyresh emuna. The Jewish nation has something else. There's something special. There's something beyond what it seems. Yes, they can worship an eagle, but there's a Kusta de Chayusa. Yes, they can reject um, the, uh, going to Eretz Yisrael because of listening to the spies, but there's a Kusta de Chayusa. Yes, they can demand going back to Egypt because they're not happy with Amon, but there's a Kusta de Chayusa. There's a Shoyash Emunah. There's something worth working with they can come out of it they can come out of Memteshari Tumor and stand at the foot of mount sinai and say na that is the lesson of the burning bush that's what's going on here and that's what it means and the he quotes here um, one of the uh, one of his ancestors who says sha'al yehudi la'amin shal yehudi lahamin, sha'hu ma'amin. every jew has to believe that they are a believer. It's so profound, it's really so inspirational. A Jew has to believe that they're a believer, but they'll tell you to your face, I don't believe. Just say to them, no, no, you must believe that you're a believer. Even if you think you're not a believer, you are a believer, but, but I don't believe. Somewhere inside you, you believe. There's a pintalayid. There's something going on inside your heart. There's a shere There's a Kustat Achayusa. There's something inside you that believes in Hashem. You need to find it. Keep searching. The search has to go on. You'll get there. But a Jew has to believe that they are a believer. The a Jew has to believe that they are a believer. Even though he doesn't feel that way, he has to believe that within him somewhere there is a believer and he does believe. There are clouds that are covering the light of his emunah. You should know something. That is something that was planted inside us. By our forefathers, by our ancestors, Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, they created within us this Shoyresha and Muna. We have it, it's there. We just need to find it. It's just as it says, and this is from Shmos Rabbah, it's from a Medrash. He said, and this obviously, is the literal understanding of this phrase. Do you know why they're believers? Because their ancestors were believers. They come from a family, from, from a tradition, from ancestry, that are believers. And therefore, they are also believers. They may think they're not. Oh, they may have compared... I'm an atheist. You know, I heard once from Shlomo Kaubach, he used to go and speak in colleges all over the, U, the United States, I guess all over the world. He would go and sing for them, tell them stories. And at some point during his presentation, he would say to them, OK, I want to know which religion you are, all of you people. And some people would stand up, say, I'm a, I'm a Christian, I'm a Catholic, I'm a Protestant, I'm an Episcopalian, I'm a Muslim, I'm a Hindu. He said, invariably, if anybody got up and said, I'm an atheist, they were Jewish. Because there's plenty of Jews who believe that they don't believe. But learn the lesson of this incredible Nesivas Shalom. Every Jew has to believe that they're a believer, even if they don't understand how they could be a believer. And even if there's so much doubt and they're completely immersed in a non-believing environment, in (laughs) Mem Teshari Tumah, they are believers. (laughs) Even if the bush appears to be burning in fire... It does not get consumed. That kusta de chayusa remains inside you. At every uh, point in time, where the, the, within them they still have this shoyresh of emunah, they have within them the possibility, through this kusta de chayusa, to emerge in an exodus from Egypt. Let's finish with this piece, beautiful piece of Nasiba Shalom. I'm just going to say, how was this possible? How is this possible? How is it possible that somebody can maintain emunah within them and not even know about it? How is it possible to do that? How can you sustain something within you? How is it possible that within this seed that is rotting in the ground, there is something that can enable the birth of a plant? How is it possible? So he says, He says, let's, let's look at this pasuk. That the malach appeared to him inside uh, the fire, this flame of fire, and the bush didn't burn. And this reveals to us that the Koyach ha'emunah can never be completely destroyed within a Jewish person. ra'isi ani ami. Ki es machoivov. Hashem um, says to Moshe Look, take a look, um, the plight of my people. I know their pain. Incredible posuk. Why is it incredible? Because it says, Re'ei ra'isi, look and look. Or Ra'ai I can see. Ra'e, look, Raisi, I can see. What does it mean? Ra'e Ra'isi? Why does it have to say Ra'i Ra'isi? Just say Ra'isi, I can see. What is it? Ra'e Ra'isi? Why the double language? Ra'isa Al Zeb medrash, The medrash says, Ra'isi loinema ella ra'e ra'isi. The medrash teaches us it doesn't say to Moshe Rabbeinu, God doesn't say, Ra'isi, I saw, I can see. It says, Ra'e, take a look, Ra'isi I can see. Why? Omaloa kodesh baruchhu. Moshe God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe, listen to me. You can see one type of vision. What you see is what you see. However, I can see. Two visions. I can see what you can see, but I can see something else that you can't see. Something completely different. The How do we explain this Medrash? Alpi Mamar Moran mi Kobrini says, One of my ancestors, the Kabrina. he said as follows The worst thing that can happen to anyone is that they become completely, they give in to their reality. The reality is as it is, and nothing can ever change. Your spiritual reality is as it is. I am what I am, it is what it is, and nothing is going to change. It does nothing to change, it does nothing to improve his spiritual status. I am what I am, I do what I do, I believe in the way I believe, and that's it if a Jewish person is not conscious of the fact that his can improve, that type of life isn't a life at all. If somebody just gives in, if somebody says to themselves, that what I am is what I am, and nothing is going to improve, it is what it is, That's not a life. You've got to be ambitious. Now, we're very familiar with material ambition. I think we're all familiar with that idea. I'm materially ambitious. You know that uh, the Medrash says, Somebody has 100, he'll want 200. Somebody has 200, wants 400. Somebody has 400, wants 800. We're all ambitious. Whatever we have, we're ambitious for something more, for ourselves, for our family, for our community, for whatever it is. We're familiar with ambition. What about spiritual ambition? What about God ambition? How ambitious are you to be a better person of faith? Or are you satisfied? I'm coasting. I am what I am. Or maybe you're not satisfied, but it is what it is. And that's the way it's going to remain. That's not called life. Chaim <laughs> sheka'ele we always have to work on ourselves that we can improve. We have to be ambitious for our spiritual growth. For us, and then he's not lost. Where does that strength come from to improve oneself spiritually? Where does it come from? That in and of itself comes from this inner um. Uh, environment, this inner core that you have—you're not even aware of. This kusta de chayusa, this shirasha emuna—the root of faith that's within you. It's inside. You have this neshama. You have deep buried inside you emuna. You have to believe that you're a believer. Tavias hanefes she'ainoim mashlim imatzoved. There's a part of your soul that's never satisfied with the way it is. Umizet chilas hatsmicha. And from that you can grow. Once you know that's there, once you believe it's there, you can use that as the platform for growth. You can use that as the basis of your ambition. Of course I can achieve great things in spirituality because I've got the Shoy Resha'emuna inside me. The Hualdvan Mosho. And this we can say uh, using an analogy, a very powerful analogy. There's a person who fell into a very deep pit. She calls man, she oisai liv At the, every moment that you can still hear them crying out and shouting that people should help them help, help, help me, get me out. Oishu sha'oideno you can know that they're still alive and that you should make every effort to save them. But if you can't hear them cry out anymore, they're no longer shouting help. They're no longer responding to efforts at communicating with them. It's, uh, then you know that, that the falling down has been very destructive and it's probably finished them off. The Because he no longer even knows that he's in that situation and all hope has failed it's no different in Ruchnius it's no different in your spiritual growth in your faith growth it's no different somebody who knows that God exists and knows that he's not in the place that he needs to be he's not where he's meant to be he should be in a better place in that, such a person, is going to, it's going to cause them agmas nefesh, it's going to make them upset. They're not going to be happy in that situation. They want to grow, they want to get better. He's not satisfied with where he is and he's ambitious to improve. That ambition is the key to improving. That hakara, um, that knowledge, that you're not where you're meant to be, that is how you can improve. And this is the kusta de chayusa that is, enables you to grow even out of a rotting seed. Even though you're not perfect and none of us are perfect. And some of us may be more or less perfect in terms of our faith, in terms of our spirituality, our awareness of God, in the way we observe mitzvahs, in the way that we behave towards other people. But this kusta de chayusa, the snare that's burning but it doesn't get burnt that's all of us we all have it and we can use that as we have to uh, we have to decide inside our brains we have to create the psyche within us that we can make things better we can be better than who we are we just don't give up we don't allow ourselves to give up so I'm going to leave it here and I would, want, would like you to think about and reflect on this incredible idea of the snare as the foundational moment of Moshe Rabbeinu's leadership for the Jewish nation. Moshe Rabbeinu at that moment realises that the Jewish nation can out-survive any challenge. Why? Because they are a bush that burns in fire but doesn't get destroyed. We are a bush we are a plant that grows. We have this ability through the kusta de chayusa that's within us to rise up to every challenge and emerge from every catastrophe like a phoenix out of the ashes. And we can go boldly where we've never been before as a nation and achieve every one of our objectives and much more. We can have the ambition of the Shoya that's within us, both as individuals within each and every one of us, but also collectively as a nation, as Am Yisrael, the Am Yisrael that emerged out of Egypt under the leadership of Moshe Rabbeinu. Thank you.